Welcome to Legal Nurse Podcast, where you will get tips to expand your legal nurse consulting skills. Every week, you'll hear from experts from within and outside of legal nurse consulting. They will share their knowledge to help you grow. Your show is moderated by Pat Iyer, a legal nurse consultant with 30 years experience. So join our community, sit back, relax, and get ready to learn. Here's Pat. This is Pat Iyer with Writing to Get Business, and I have the pleasure of bringing to you Ron Carr, who I've known for many years. Ron is an accomplished sales person, sales consultant, coach, speaker. Ron has devoted um, a good portion of his life to the people in the National Speakers Association. He served on the board of directors for many years and then had the honor of traveling the world as the president. And while he was president, he was um, intimately involved in helping to move the organization forward. He is a guest who's been on several TV shows and has national and international prominence. So I'm so pleased to bring you Ron Carr. Thank you, Pat. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. And I wanted to be sure that you know that Ron is a get things done guy. He taught me the expression, I got a guy. When he was involved in helping us with one of our conferences, he pulled some strings. So Ron, can you explain to our listener who's from another country, what does it mean when you say, I got a guy? Well, I mean, when I, I mean, I have a resource that can help solve your problems. And uh, so we use slang in New Jersey, I got a guy. <laughs> and, uh, and that's it. I called up my resources and say, hey, can you help us out here? And that's how we did it. And I'm sure that that concept might be called different things in different countries, but the principle is the same. Sure. In New York, it's, uh, yo, I know someone, you know. (laughs) When we went to India to see my husband's family one time, my husband left his computer cord behind and he was running out of battery power and we were there for two weeks. So he said to our relative, well, I'll just go to a computer store. And my relative said, no, that's not the way we do that in India. We have to call our guy who will bring the cord to the house and then we will pay him for the cord. And that's how it works. So that we got a guy works in India too. Yeah, so everybody's got a guy somewhere in the country that they're living in. That's right. Or a woman. Yes, yes. I got a girl is quite not the same kind of concept, but, but it still works. But hopefully someday it will be. <laughs> that's right. I know that you have written another book before this. This is my copy of your book that you signed for me when uh, we were together in person. Tell us about the new book that you just completed. And for those of you who are looking at this podcast on our YouTube channel, you can see copies of the book behind Ron. For those who are listening on the audio channel, let's talk about the title of that book and what's behind that book. So the book is called The Velocity Mindset, How Leaders Eliminate resistance, gain buy-in, and achieve better results faster. Um, You mentioned in the intro that I'm a sales expert, and I am. That's where I started, And but my practice has evolved. I'm now brought in to coach 
and help leaders and organizations, C-suite on down. And so the, this book is more of a leadership book, but for the audience, it's not just about if you have a title, it's for anybody in life. It's how well do you lead your life? So where did I come up with the concept for the velocity mindset? Um, after I was done with the presidency, as you talked about in June, 2014, um, I went through a series of nine surgeries a couple for some a small case of melanoma in my nose. Thankfully, they got it out just in time. But then they, part of those nine surgeries were four major back surgeries in which I had my back fused in nine levels, not just one like most people. So I was down for a period of time. And while I was down, like anybody else would be, you start evaluating your life, especially when you're approaching 60 like I was. And you start asking yourself, you know, where's the legacy, you know, what did I do? Did I accomplish everything I wanted in life? And I knew that I accomplished a lot, but I also know that deep down, I was upset that I didn't accomplish some other things. And when I looked at the reasons why, it was what did we all go through in life? It was our fears. It was the stories we tell ourselves that it can't be done or whatever. And I started ask, saying to myself, you know, what a pity that is because, you know, when it comes to the end of a time that we measure results, whether it's the end of the year or end of a lifetime, all of us want to have the situation where we have no regrets, where we know we gave it our all, we left it all on the playing field. And so I started gaining a passion for that. And it start, and, and speed became a big part of it, velocity, because, you know, my time is running out. I mean, I'm still got another good 20 years on this earth, but still, you know, most of it is gone. So now I don't have the time to take my time if I want to accomplish those things. I really got to get through whatever barriers I had to get there. So that's what my passion is to help people understand what true velocity is and what are the things that create resistance or drag in your velocity. And for many of those things, it's self-induced. And that's the pity part. It doesn't have to be self-induced. And that's what I want to help people through. Now, Pat, when you hear the word velocity, what's the word that comes to your mind? Speed. Speed, right. And that's what most people have. But that is only half the definition. If you look up the physics definition of velocity, it's speed with direction. Hmm. So all of a sudden, all these ideas started coming to my mind because I started realizing how many times in a year do we like have days where we're so busy doing our tasks and we get done at the end of the day, we're exhausted, but we're asking ourselves, what did we really accomplish? And so what I realized is that people have to be more purpose-driven than task-driven, all right? And so the purpose is the direction. You know, what is the success that you want to accomplish? What does it look like? Because when you have that clear in your mind, what's going to happen then is, is that you're going to ask yourself different questions and you're going to take on different tasks to give you the best chance of achieving that success. But yet it's the thoughts and the limitations that stop us. And we go into the book about those things and give tools on how the people can deal with that so that they can move on and accomplish what they want to accomplish. You pointed out some critical things in that explanation. We can be busy all day and yet not accomplish our goals that we are driving ourselves towards, but taking care of all of the minutia, at least that's what happens to me. And I get distracted into things that cause me to spend a lot of time that pulls me away from my goals. Sure. And, and I think COVID was a big um, wake-up call for all of us. Oh, yeah. 
it could, you know, it really interrupted all of our lives. And a lot of us started asking, well, what am I really doing? What do I really want to achieve? A lot of people moved out of the New York area. They moved to Florida. They changed their lifestyles. I want to move to Florida. And when COVID hit, you know, my, my goal was, after, you know, I lost a significant amount of uh, money because of the uh, 24-7 care I needed that was not covered. So I wanted to recapture that. So I figured, you know what? I'll write another book and go back on the circuit, you know, and speak for 10 more years. And then when I'm 70, I'll move to Florida. Well, COVID said, well, wait a minute, why can't you move to Florida right now? <laughs> Everything is disrupted. Everybody's doing things remote. You can do a lot remote if you want to curtail your travel. You can still go do some speeches, but at least you can play golf all year round and start living the lifestyle you want. Why wait? Because COVID taught us we may not have enough time, you know, because the, 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 there's a Yiddish phrase that says, man plans and God laughs. Mm. You know, so you better take That's advantage right. of what you can do right now. So when COVID hit, I started saying to myself, oh my God, what am I gonna do? My speaking revenue just dried up. I got some consulting, but you know, it's not enough. And a lot of my colleagues and your colleagues were saying, okay, let's go get the virtual presentations. But I realized everybody was not willing to pay for it at that time. You know, people were trying to get their feet wet. They want to do it for half. And I started saying to myself, you know, I don't want to play that game. So what I decided to do is double down on the book. This is the perfect time to write the book. Get it done. So when COVID will be on its way out, which it is now, hopefully, um, and things start opening up again, you'll be able to launch the book. It'll be perfect timing. So that's why I'm talking about task versus purpose. I could have easily sat there and said, hey, you know, let me make as many calls as I can and hopefully get some business and wind up with not. But I knew a book and now business is really important. It's not just a calling card, but it gives another significance to your expertise and it gives a different reasons for people to contact you. So that's what I did. I, uh, I had my two consulting retainers, you know, they kept me going. I wrote the book, got it done. And then um, just as we we're about to get ready to publish and I was ready to move to Florida last September, I signed a lease for November. My intuition played in. I talk about intuition in the book. And I said, well, you know, you got this heart murmur, this valve issue, and it's not going away. It kept getting tired. And maybe you should look at it because you may not be going to Florida again. So I went to my cardiologist, did an echo, and sure enough, he pulled the fire alarm. And unbeknownst, I had emergency open heart surgery to replace the aorta valve. Mm. So that was another thing that derailed me. But it didn't really derail me because I didn't let it. You know, I went through the process, did what I had to do. And I said, okay, you'll delay your move for a year. In the meantime, what it allowed me to do is actually rewrite the introduction to the book because the surgeon was so amazing. She actually checked off all the boxes I listed in the book of what leaders need to look at. And so it became a more relevant book. And uh, now we're launching it. So, you know, that's what people have to do. You know, you have to look at the purpose, not just the tasks. You know, and with my healthcare background as a nurse, I think what you're talking about in terms of leadership is critical. It's critical in all industries. It's particularly critical in a highly complex industry like medicine, where there are so many processes that have to be done right in order to accomplish the goal. And I worked for 30 years with medical malpractice attorneys who looked at when things didn't go right, when the processes were not followed, when the outcomes were terrible leadership is critical in healthcare 
It is. Um, so I was an EMT also, uh, you know, and when we trained for the EMT, you would be in the gym taking a test and you had all this room to manipulate patients, you know, so you didn't move the back in the wrong way, you could put backboards on and all that. But what they were really doing, and if you miss one little thing, they failed you. But what they were really after was the ABCs, AOA breathing and circulation. The thing they drilled into us, no matter what you do out there, you must protect the ABCs. If you don't, you lose a patient. And you also must maintain control of the scene and not let the emotion take care of it. Well, now all of a sudden you pull up to an, an, an accident and some people may remember the Volkswagen Beetle, that small little car. Mm-hmm. So let's say it's wrapped around a telephone pole and you know, and the person's chest is crushed by the steering wheel. Well, guess what? You don't have the room to maneuver somebody like you did in that gym. So sometimes you may have to improvise. But what they taught you was no matter how you improvise, you better not interrupt the ABCs. And that was a great learning lesson because that was the purpose. So as people worry about process in the medical field and they need to follow the process, the best way to follow the process is to remind yourself what is the overall purpose we're after. Because that's what processes are made. They make the the develop to help you get to an end result. Yeah, the processes are critical. And and you also identified being attentive to your resistance. Maybe it's your resistance to follow the process or the messages that you tell yourself that are self-defeating. Can you explore that for us a little bit more? Sure. So we, so we talk about the book, Fears. You know, we talk about the imposter syndrome that even a lot of successful people have. And we talk about the stories. We make stories up as to what happens to us or what people tell us. Some are good stories, some are not that great of stories. The point is we create stories. So if, if someone says something to you, I remember when I was a young kid, um, um, I went to uh, try out for the choir in school. And the teacher came up to me and said, look, you don't have a voice. (laughs) All right. So find something else that's more passionate. Now, if you look at her point of view, she would think that she was doing me a great service because she didn't want me to be laboring something that may not work. And she was looking out for me. But yeah, we've all heard the stories where other people had that same message given to them about a voice. And yet it really bothered them. And they developed a story, I'll never be able to sing, except for those one or two people who didn't let that become the story. And they still pushed through and became famous singers. That's the difference. So we have to understand that whatever we're thinking about in our minds as a reaction to what someone says or does to us, it's a story that we're creating. The beauty about that is we wrote that story. So if that story is not serving us well, we have the power to rewrite it. And now we know the origin between those people who say, I wish I could go back to my high school and tell that guidance counselor, look at me. Right. Look at what I accomplished. Right. But that guidance counselor was just trying to do based on the information they had, whether they're right or wrong is not the issue. It's the story you created. You know, and I'm a master at that because I grew up in a very tough household because being the son of a Holocaust survivor, it tended to be a very strict household with some verbal and physical abuse if you didn't do what you were told to do. And it was not, I knew my father loved me, but he was doing it not to hurt me. He just didn't want me 
to have the life that he had, right? Mm. But in my mind, I created my own stories. I'm a fraud, I'll never succeed, no one will ever want me based on what he kept telling me. And it didn't serve me well. And I learned a painful way because it took me several years to change that story. So my mission is to try and de-emotionalize the stories that are in people's minds that prevent them from going forward. Because the thing that stops us is that negative emotion that those stories trigger in us. And I would imagine, Ron, that because of COVID and the huge shifts that there were people who went out of business because they listened to the stories that said, you can't improvise or you can't change direction or you can't come up with a better way of running your business. And yet there are other people who, as Jeff Hazlett says, their companies have had a birthday as a result of the shifts that we've all been experiencing. What have you seen as it relates to adapting to the pandemic in, in business behavior and business leaders? So, all right, so Zoom, for example, you know, my clients were on Zoom before COVID because I told them to. I said, you know, you can get more interaction when you have remote uh, locations, but also use Zoom to talk to clients, especially when you give uh, proposals. You know, if you can't meet them, say, hey, can we review the proposal? This way you can control the presentation of the proposal, but more importantly, you can see the reaction so you can respond. Most people just email a proposal and it just really freaks me out. So now everybody's on Zoom, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, too much, you know, we get Zoomed out. So, we, you know, you go from one stream to the other. So we're gonna go back a little bit because we need to get back in person. We need to do some things in person. But what I'm really happy about is that Zoom is here now. What COVID did was it, it made um, virtual, virtual events or conversations um, mainstream right now for all of us, which is really cool because now it shouldn't substitute getting together and having creativity, but it can augment what we're doing. So for me, I realized, you know what? I don't have to be on a plane, you know, for 500,000 miles a year. You know, I can do one or two speeches and then, you know, do some really great coaching and consulting remotely and then still go out in the afternoon and play golf. So that's what all of us are doing. And that's, by the way, what companies are facing with right now, because a lot of people are saying that to themselves. Why do I have to go back to the office? And they're struggling how to get people in the office. And you're hearing about these hybrids. We want people in at least two days a week and we'll do a mix and match. And you got some executives like Jamie Dimon, who's the CEO of uh, JP Morgan, who says, no, they are coming back to the office because we need that creativity. So I think still people are fighting their way through this thing. And eventually the water level will, you know, level off. But at the end of the day, we found that there's new ways of doing things. And that what COVID did was it opened up all of our eyes. Now the question is, how are you going to simulate it into your life? So it supports your overall purpose. Not that it's just a task. You know, I think about this when I'm in living in New Jersey and I drive past these big office buildings in the central part of the state. And I think how many of them are empty shells and what a bad time it would be to own office buildings and count on all the rent coming in from the corporations who've said exactly what you said, Ron. Why do we need to, to, to rent buildings and pay for all of that when our people are being productive and in some ways much happier working at home? Well, 
So I, I believe in the productivity and being happier, but I, I don't believe it's the full productivity. I still believe that there's a value of being together and creativity. Mm-hmm. Whenever you have conversations, um, when two people get together and share ideas, a third idea comes that would never have happened from that. You kind of limit it a little bit when you do virtual. So my point is, yes, virtual should stay, but it can't be the, the new norm. You know, you still got to get into in face to face because there's a different energy there. So I think what's going to happen with the office buildings, while we're saying it's a, um, you know, the empty shells, which they are, um, there might be new strategies that, you know, companies are going to be looking for. Maybe they'll take less space. Maybe they're going to go more to a hybrid space where people, instead of someone having their own office, you know, it's going to be one big room that will be like a bullpen. So everybody has a desk when they do come in, they got some place to go. Things will change. I don't know exactly how it's going to look like, but things will change to some degree. And that's what happens in life. There's always a upending and then we get used to it and then we deal with it and then we move on. That's life, you know? It makes me think about that definition of change, which is probably related to velocity. When you look at the current that goes through a river, we are in that river all the time. Maybe we're not always aware of the motion, but we're continually changing and adapting and being exposed to new situations and new conditions. Yes, the example I give is the pilot. So, you know, a pilot starts with the end in sight. If you went to Newark Airport, they got on a plane, you asked the pilot where we're going, he says, I have no clue, you're not gonna stay on that plane. How <laughs> knows where you're gonna go? You're gonna go to Fort Myers, okay, let's say. So he has Fort Myers as the end result. He starts with a destination, which we tell people. And then he works his way backward to feel what are the key waypoints that he has to hit to get there. And what are the obstacles, meaning the winds, the storms that he has to go around. So eventually he gets there. That's what life is about. We have to know where the purpose is that we want to get to. And it has to be, we talk about in the book about the clean piece of paper. Because when we ask people to say, what's your destiny? What's your true destination? Many times they just create one based on what they know happened in the past, based on their biases and experiences. When that happens, all you're doing is recreating the past. When I'm talking about clean piece of papers, forget about what happened in the past, because you got a lot of stories attached to that. You got a lot of beliefs that are not necessarily true. I want your passion to come out. What do you really want to accomplish? You know, we did this, one of my greatest success stories when, when I was coaching a C-suite team. Um, they developed, they were a multinational chemical manufacturer and they developed a new reagent that cut in half the cost of mining copper. And when it came out, a lot of copper mines in the 80s were going bankrupt and they started using this product and it saved them. So when you come out with a new idea, service, product, and it works, your sales go like this. But then what happens? Competition sees that you're making money. So they re-engineer, come out with their offering, that is good. They put price pressure on, you lose market share. So when they got a hold of me, their market share went down to 60%. And one of their biggest customers, the biggest player in the world, all their minds were up for bid. So they brought me and they helped them strategize. And the first question I asked them, take out a clean piece of paper. What do you want as a result of my intervention? Now in that industry, they always bought a bid. Three-year contract, lowest price. Their answer, we want to win the bid. That's based on their biases and experience of how things are done. I said, no, that's not the question. If you can really get the destination you truly want, what would it be? And their passion came out. Why do we have to bid? We started this business. We saved them. So what do you want? 
we want a 10-year agreement for the life of the patents. I said, good. How do you want it? Negotiated for value, not, not a bid. Okay, great. And how much? You know, you got 25% of the demand, 75%. So I repeated what they said. You want a 10-year negotiated deal for 75% of their business, which never happens in that industry. And I looked at them like and said, you can do this if you want. It just takes a different set of actions than going for a bid. And then they asked me the question, how do we do it? And I said, I had no clue. And they looked at me and said, are you nuts? I said, no, listen to me. We have to go through the process. I know my heart of hearts, I'm gonna get you close to that. Whether or not we get to that exact spot, I can't tell you that. But from what I see you're doing and not doing, we got a lot of room to work. And eventually we changed their position with that account and in 18 months, they secured a 10 year negotiated deal for 75% of that demand that was unheard of in the industry because they didn't let their past biases and experiences and stories get in the way as to what they think they could and could not do. And that brings us full circle to the title of your book and the subtitle, right? Yes. Can you share with our viewer again, the name sure. of your book and how they can get a copy of the book and how they can find out more about you and the services that you offer. Sure. So the uh, best way for, well, the book title is The Velocity Mindset, How Leaders Eliminate Resistance, Gain Buy-in, and Achieve Better Results Faster. Is it just for people with management titles? No, it's for anybody. Because, well, the way I signed the book is live and lead life with the velocity mindset. A way they can find more information, they simply can go to velocitymindset.com. Uh, they'll find more information about the book. There's a couple of uh, goodies up there, a free chapter if they want. They can also do an, a leadership assessment tool. And then th that page, velocitymindset.com, is part of roncard.com if they want to see the overall services that we can offer them. Thank you, Ron. I appreciate that. My pleasure. And thank you to you who's been watching this podcast or listening to a, it on our audio channels. Be sure to tell a couple of people about Writing to Get Business, our podcast in which we interview authors who have written books strategically to open up new opportunities for them in their businesses and in their lives. Hi, this is Pat Iyer with Writing to Get Business, and I have just finished talking with John Morris about his book, The Battles We All Face. His book is fresh, ready to release, even as we speak, he's waiting for his first copies to come into his home. John, can you give our viewer or our listener a quick overview about what we covered in your podcast? And I know that they're going to want to listen to it. Absolutely, Pat. It, uh, we, we covered so much. I mean, we covered my story from, from artist to author, how I wanted to develop a very, very different style of book that had more of a creative flair to it as well. Uh, also, how that developed and led into a, a brand new branch of our business that's helping literally countless people all over the world and into a podcast as well with some really big guests from all around the world. And we covered so much more that's on that show. Excellent. Well, thank you, John. I appreciated interviewing you as a guest, and I want to be sure to encourage you, the listener or the person watching this podcast, to be sure to check out John Morris's podcast. 
He covers great points and has that unique ability to combine his artistic skill with his knowledge in the way that he put his book together. Be sure to catch John Morris. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check out Pat Iyer's resources for legal nurse consultants on LegalNurseBusiness.com. Pat coaches legal nurse consultants so they make more money, get more clients, and avoid expensive mistakes. Check out her coaching program at LNCAcademy.com. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Join our community to get notified of each new episode and to receive the transcript of today's program. Complete the request form on podcast.legalnursebusiness.com. We appreciate you and your interest. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.